Uh, let's, uh, let's take a moment and just pray, kind of in the spirit of what we've just experienced with that song and that reading. Would you guys, uh, men and ladies, please bow your heads with me. Jesus, we are here today to honor you, uh, to worship you, to focus on you. Would you keep us from seeing um, what we do here uh, as a religious activity, but that we would see what we do here as a part of a vibrant relationship with you, Jesus, the author and foundation of all life and existence and reality. Would you help us to draw closer to you this morning as we work through the scriptures in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you again this morning. I was here a few weeks back and excited to come and share with you again this morning as we're launching into this new series um, at, uh, at Valley Church and at NBC, kind of jointly uh, going through the letter to the Colossians. And I listened to Dave's message online from last week and was really encouraged. I wasn't able to be here, but I was really encouraged by listening to Dave's message. And I learned a lot from Dave just in the things that he shared last week. And if you were here and had the opportunity to sit under his teaching, um, learning a lot about the uh, establishing the context and the bigger picture for where we are as we look at this letter uh, to the Colossians. And so thanks, Dave, for helping me get a good handle on this. And I'm sure that you all enjoyed um, being able to get some insight as to where this was coming from. And this morning, we're going to rely on some of the context that Dave set for us really last week in order to help us understand what we're going to look at this week. Anybody remember, just kind of speak it out, what, what Dave had mentioned was Paul's main emphasis or main point in this letter? Do you remember what that was? Christ in the center. Yeah, the supremacy of Jesus. Jesus above all, overall, in all, just the centrality of who Jesus is. If you remember from last week, Dave pointed out that the city of Colossae was part of a, this tri-city region that was a, um, a hub of many different ways of thought and belief. And uh, remember, remember the great word that Dave used last week, the smorgasbord mentality. Um, remember what that translates into our language? Do you remember what he said about that? What was that open? Yeah, open sandwich bar, open sandwich table. Was, uh, was, was the word or the phrase that was used there. And this city, this region that was all surrounding it was, uh, was an area that was really an open sandwich table of religious ideas, of religious thoughts, ideas, and beliefs. And it's in this context that Jesus wants to, or Paul wants to lift up Jesus as supreme, as above everything else in the midst of a, of a culture and a context that minimized um, different religious ways of thinking and particularly the, the teachings and the ways of Jesus. David also mentioned that their culture back in the day and our culture today have a lot in common, which I thought was interesting uh, to work through. We are, as a culture today, as a Western American nation, our very strong consumer-based culture, aren't we? I mean, we're very consumptive. We, I mean, not even going into it, I mean, we just consume so many of the world's resources here in this nation. And we pick and choose, uh, it plays out in picking and choosing what we eat, where we want to go eat. Dave talked about the whole concept of Subway. You know, you can get things the way that you want them. Um, where we go to church, it carries out and us, you know, hopping around from churches to churches to try to find the church that best fits us, which sometimes is a little closer to home to, to those of us that are here this morning, is, is, uh, is trying to pick and choose what church is a church that I want to be a part of. 
Uh, we, we have a mentality that wants to do the things that we want to do. Um, and we operate and orient our lives a lot of times that way. And we live in a culture that views religion and religiosity in the same way. People in our context have Christian views. They also have Hindu views. They have Islamic views. They have Jude, um, uh, Jewish views. And many people hold similar views in the same person, meaning they have Christian views and Islamic views, or they have Hindu views and Jewish views. And there's just a, a weird complexity that goes on. People kind of gravitate and pick things all over the place to what they're going to believe. And so we have a little bit of this and a little bit of that mentality. And so when we look at this letter to the Colossians, I think it can be a very applicable letter for us to look at, you know, 2,000 years later um, because of the similarities that exist between both of the cultures that we can see today. It's actually pretty profound. And so to illustrate this, what I'd like to do in setting this up this morning is to take a look at this video clip. And I think the tone here might be similar to the tone that we might have seen in, in Colossae as well. So take a look at this clip. That was intentionally meant to um, help you try to guess. I mean, come up with your own ideas, okay? Um, basically, let me, let me just briefly take a look at, at summarizing a little bit of what that, what that video kind of works through. It's basically a, um, kind of a person on the street mentality where, where a guy walks around and he asks different questions of people uh, in this general neighborhood. Um, up, I think up closer up into Mountain View. And basically it addresses this issue or this concept of the, the one-way approach, that Jesus is the one way to God type of mentality, and how most people in our culture find that very offensive. People find that just that exclusivity to be really uh, ludicrous. And, um, and it's basically a picture where in this culture that we live in today, you can imagine that the Christians that, that lived in the early church there in Colossae had the same sort of perspective, that they probably found themselves confronted with similar nuances of, well, okay, you know, Jesus is kind of one, you know, one of the gods of the pantheon. And he, okay, he's a guy that you can worship and focus on, but don't really say that he's only one perspective to focus on and say that he is the only way to God. And so that's really kind of a product of, or, or a picture of how we operate as a culture here uh, today as well. People typically want to believe what they want to believe about certain things. And in one regard, it's okay. We're not a nation that forces people to think one way. And we're not a theocracy. You know, we're not a, a place where we have this religion or Christian religion is the law of the land, which mandates people to believe one way. That's not really the way of Jesus anyway. But... This, this attitude that, that people don't like to be told that maybe there's one way that is above and beyond other ways is a very offensive thing to people uh, today. People want to make their own decisions and they want to pick and choose kind of what fits best. And some of us find that similar situation in our own lives. We kind of, 
kind of find ourselves in a paradox a lot of times because we, we like some things and don't like other things and it kind of doesn't make sense why we pick this and, and we choose this idea that we like but we, we don't pick this other idea up that has a similar thinking and there's just different ways that make this confusing for us. Um, but this is exactly the type of environment that Paul wrote these words and really from the type of environment that Jesus would have been sharing his ways of love, compassion, mercy, and yes, his exclusivity with. This is the kind of context, the kind of culture that we live in today where he would have felt very at home in sharing with and talking with people, not from the perspective of trying to win an argument with people and beating people over the head with a Bible or a Bible track or something like that, but to help people understand and see who they really were, that they were loved deeply by God, that were loved deeply by Jesus, and really to help them understand who you belong to, what your purpose is, who, what your identity is. And so this morning, uh, we're going to take a look at verses 3 through 12 in Colossians chapter 1. We're still in somewhat of this, this uh, movie trailer mode of looking at this, this, let, this letter, this kind of a preview of what's going on here. But here what we're going to see this morning is that Paul is going to start encouraging this church to keep Jesus at the center of their lives. He's going to start the thinking and the process here and laying out that argument. And specifically, he's going to help them see that at the root of God's will for our lives, at the root of God's will for our lives, is that Jesus is the center. Jesus is the focus. Jesus is the, the, the point of identification and identity for our own lives that needs to be at the very beginning. And so long story short, God's will for your life and my life is pretty simple. Keep Jesus the center and keep Jesus the focus. That's the essence of God's will for our lives. And this is what we're going to take a look at this morning. Now, none of you know this, but the video is now playing on these screens up here. So Darren did all of that while being distracted by TV. That's highly impressive, buddy. All the wives are like, man, I wish my husband could do that. Um, all right, if we could bring some more lights up. Uh, we're going to just move into a, a short announcement time, and that is this. First of all, ladies, welcome back. We are thrilled that you're back from the women's retreat. Was it an awesome retreat or what? I've already heard good things. Yeah, we're going to do it again next year. I heard great things uh, from all sorts of different uh, people on that. And in fact, in the coming weeks, it'd be neat to hear from, from a lady or two, just a testimony about, about what's going on and all that. Um, just a couple of brief announcements. One is right after the service today is uh, our, our welcome lunches. And we're, we're bringing those back. The weather is back to uh, getting nice and whatnot. So once a month, we'll just go and celebrate uh, together uh, while eating. And that's just always a good thing. So we're going to just do that. That's free to you guys. Uh, if you want to jump in and be a part of a team that helps that out, that would be awesome. Uh, we're having different community groups that are just kind of sponsoring it to just kind of help, help put it on and, and all of that. Um, also, I wanted to mention this. We have, uh, we have three different men's groups right now. Uh, you can find them in your, in your bulletin. But they're, they're focusing just on the spiritual disciplines right now. And um, there's a book by Richard Foster called Celebration of Discipline. And, uh, and we're just a 
several weeks into that, and there, it's really kind of an on-ramp any time that you want to do. But one of the groups in particular, the Friday morning group, is going, to, um, is going to tie in as a way to express it. Rather than just study spiritual disciplines, it's really this idea of let's, let's learn about it, but let's do it. That's the whole point of it, is being a doer of the word. And one of the disciplines is actually service. And so we're going to go hand-in-hand with Love, Inc., which um, goes and finds... Uh, places of need for people and then just a way to express what we're learning as a, as a men's group together on Friday mornings and Wednesday mornings and Tuesday mornings is to go and, and put that need um, to, to practice. So I just want to make mention of that, that that's, that's going on and those are uh, easily accessible to join any time. And uh, Rich Henderson's been involved in that and myself and Kel and some others. So if you have any questions, come and, and fire off. I think the email all sends it to Rich to give him a lot of work and a lot of email, which is always good. Um, so just you can ask any of us about that and we'll let you know. Um, all right, let me invite up uh, Jim and Jenny Cook to the front. And uh, um, we have... Uh, we have decided, we, again, some of you may not know this, but this church is about a year and a half old church plant out of Valley Church in Cupertino. Why don't you guys come right up front here? And um, so one of the things that we have, have been praying to God about and just seeking the Lord about is just asking God, would you give us leadership, indigenous leadership to this body of believers and um, we are announcing this morning Jim as, uh, as our second intern elder for uh, Neighborhood Bible Church. So please welcome the Cooks. Yeah. And again, for those, for those of you who have no idea what eldership is about, um, you could go to the book of Titus, uh, chapter 1, and you can read what the qualifications are for an elder or overseer. You can go to 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 3, and just read that. Actually, I think it's 1 Timothy, chapter 3, it is. And just read what the qualifications are. This isn't a good old boys club. He didn't perform well in a physical, just none of that. It's a spiritual qualification uh, that we go off of, and that's because that's what Scripture says to do. And what I asked Jim to do a little bit this morning was just share some of his heart for the church. Uh, again, we want to make this really open. The whole idea of the Christian life is you bring things into the light. And um, so it's just an open invitation to any of you. If any of you have a reason to say, man, Jim shouldn't be a, uh, an elder here at NBC, you ought to go approach Jim on that. And if that, doesn't, if that doesn't work, come and talk to me about it. Come and talk to Kurt about it. Um, but we, we'd have an internship process where we're bringing them on. NBC is having their very first official here at this building uh, elders meeting uh, this next Tuesday. And we're just super, super pumped up about it. We announced Kel uh, last, last, uh, couple, last month sometime, and we're just really excited about it. Kurt is going to stay on the elder board through um, the year 2008. And so, um, anyway, we're just really excited about it. Jim, share a little bit about your heart for the church and, and uh, who you are here. that on? Well, good morning. How's everyone doing today? Right on. Good day to be in the house of the Lord, huh? Hey, this is my wife, Jennifer. This is my little girl, Tori. And this is Travis. We have another one, Sadie. She's in a daycare right now, 18 months old. But about two years ago, Jenny and I, we moved back from Tracy. We were out there for a couple years. We're originally from this area. And um, when we'd heard about the startup of this church, we moved right into the area thought this would be an awesome opportunity to be a part of our own community. I love being in a community, you know, to, to talk to people and tell them about the love of Jesus Christ and 
as Christ loved the church, so we are to love the, our neighbors and stuff. And, and so I thought this would just be a great time to be a part of this church, to grow it up. And especially being so small, I mean, we get more one-on-one communication with each other and I think more to impact each other. And, and um, I just talking with Dave and, and some of the many other people within this congregation, just awesome opportunities to build each other up, to really know the power of Christ. And I think of, you know, that, that Darren was talking about um, setting her eyes on heaven, and I just think of when Jesus called Peter to walk on water. As so many times when I'm at work, I always think about Jesus calling me to walk on water. It's to step out in faith and to tell others about Jesus Christ. And, and uh, the Bible does say that the laborers are few and the harvest is plentiful. I know people want to hear about Jesus Christ, and He's entrusted us, He's indebted us, all of us, to go out and share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think, first of all, though, too, we have to work together as a church to build each other up, to impart each other with a spiritual gift to go out into our communities to tell others about Jesus Christ. And, yeah, we can have big numbers in church and try to invite a lot of people to church in here, but God is not after numbers. He's after your heart. I think that's the, that's the thing I love about this church. I love about our pastors here. And, and um, Jenny's been awesome and just encouraging me and, and so in our community Bible study group. And it's just neat to see the commitment that you guys have. And, and I know over time God's going to grow the church. And it all just starts with our own hearts and just encouraging each other. And, and um, so I think it's definitely I see God's hand as I look back in my life and how we came back to Tracy and, and we'd even talked about possibly moving back, um, just financially. But, um, yeah, back to Tracy and not too long ago. And, and it was hard because we really love the people in this church. And um, But I just felt just the scriptures that we read, and especially when Dave kind of offered us this position. You know, it took, it took me about a month, five weeks to really think about this and pray about it and talk to other people. And... and um, I just felt, though, that God was calling me. And uh, it was just a calling that I couldn't let down. And just such an awesome opportunity to be a part of the growth of this church. And, and uh, the visions that we have long term, you know, we just leave it up to God and do the part that he's given to us. So such an honor to be a part of this church. And, and um, we just look forward to, to meeting with everybody and, and uh, just encouraging each other to grow together so we can go out into the world and win, win souls for Christ. All right, thanks, Jim. You guys, this is a momentous day just to um, just to see our elders raising up, and uh, Jim and Jenny and their family are just an awesome family. And uh, again, just to reiterate where we're at as a church, um, I've never been a lead pastor anywhere before. Jim's never been an elder before. Kel's never been an elder before. Um, so you're in great hands. Um, we just we're all about instilling confidence. And uh, really, on a serious note, though, um, we have a good shepherd, don't we? We have a great senior pastor who can handle everything and knows intimately all of our faults. And we're just under shepherds to that. That's the biblical model, is that we are the sheepdog taking commands from the shepherd and and loving and and serving you guys. So um, anyways, let me pray for the cooks, and then we just have a couple more exciting things to, to go on. Lord, I thank you for this family. God, they are not, um, they have no nature that's different than anyone else in this room, God. They are, they are people who love you and follow hard after you. And we've watched that. We've witnessed that in the small things. 
I thank you for the heart that you've put on Jim as the leader of this family, on Jenny as an incredible support, incredible wife and mom. We pray your blessing and your protection from the enemy who would seek to discourage and shame and belittle. And uh, God, just um, we're thankful that you have raised up uh, Jim as, as an elder here at this church. And we entrust to you the future of this church and this body. We're excited, God, that, uh, that you've raised up this congregation here, and we just look forward to what you're going to do in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let me get the Zimbabwe team up here. In your bulletin, it says God's grace around the world, and we're just there's a little blurb in there about the fact that we have a team of people going off to Zimbabwe on Friday morning. And uh, if you don't know, Glenn Miller is over there working with Hands of Hope, which, which is an orphanage. And I've just asked these guys to share a little bit. Um, it's pretty awesome that we have three from our own body here that are, that are doing this. So David's going to share a little bit about just kind of what prompted him. It's already on. Um, and uh, just kind of what prompted you to, to come on this team and what God did to, to move you forward in this. Sure. Okay. Hear me? Yeah. Earlier when we talked and you mentioned about the Zim team, I thought, wow, that's a pretty catchy name there. I like that, <laughs> Zim team. Um, anyway, uh, my wife the other day said I tend to be long-winded, so I'll be very brief here. So, uh, But uh, uh, certainly I, I just want to talk briefly about just the prompting that God had in our hearts for this trip. Uh, it is clear it's a calling. Uh, and um, just to stretch out and God to uh, stretch our faith, responding to really Jesus' command to love and make Jesus known, God known to, in this practical way. And that's really the response to that. Um, you know, we were here on day one when this church started, and certainly one of the things that attracted uh, my wife and I to this church was the, the mission focused, um, you know, the local focus. Uh, my, my wife was affiliate. I mean, she, she knew a lot of people from Valley Church who, who you know, was affiliate to this, and, and she would come home telling me how mission focused uh, the people are and just being part of this group really, really, um, really inspired us and so forth. And, um, and certainly, I've always had a longing to that. Um, and it took longer for some people like myself to respond to God's calling. Than, um, but, uh, you know, this is where we are and this is where I'm at and this is what I'm trying to do. So, uh, so certainly, I, I know I can speak for the men here that we are responding. It is a prompting. God has certainly has impressed us. Uh, to, to do something here in a practical way. And I think uh, it's, it's a journey for growth and just really making an impact for Christ. Well, first off, let me say I really don't know what to expect over there. I've never been overseas, and I've definitely never been to Zimbabwe. So my heart's open and ready to go. Our first focus over there is to, uh, is to share God's word and God's love with all the people over there. And our, our plan in doing that is to build some earth homes, they're called, uh, which is basically like a sandbag home that the orphans over there can live in. Um, so we're going to be spending the whole two weeks building these things with uh, one main dome and three side domes and hopefully get these guys some shelter and, and share God's love in the process. And I've asked Steve here to just share some ways to pray. Again, uh, some of you have just raised up and said, man, what can we do to support your families while you guys are gone? Or what can we do while you're over there just to pray? So um, if you, wanna, you may want to jot these down. You may have a good memory. But Steve's just going to share a little bit of ways to, to pray for these three. I think we should pray. For, uh, we ask that you pray for us to be effective, efficient in the country that we do not know about. It's so difficult for us to be 
not having control, not having enough information, not having enough resources. Glenn has been sharing with us that he got stuff from South Africa. And it's not that we can plan things out like here. Okay, we need to get stuff on a certain date. Contractors line up on a certain date. Things or delivery has to be done right ahead of time. But not in Zimbabwe. That's what we heard. We ask that you pray that in a short time that we are there, we can be efficient, we can be effective for God's good. Thanks. And then if I could just get Kel and Jim to come on up and Darren. Uh, we just want the pastors and elders to come up and just lay hands and pray for them. And then uh, we'll dismiss the kids right after prayer. You guys can go ahead and slip out. Can you guys just kneel down right here and we'll just gather around you and, and lay hands on you here. Dave, I didn't tell you ahead of time, but I'm actually going to read from Scripture. <laughs> and for those of you who might want to, uh, before we pray, follow along, um, I'm in Matthew 25. And, be, and Jesus is telling about his final judgment. And I'll start in uh, Matthew 25:31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, and the shepherd, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed in my father, who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry, and feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger, and invite you in, or naked, and clothe you? And when did we see you sick, or in prison, and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Steve and for David, for Jonathan, that you stirred in them a desire to to be Jesus. dying orphans who might not have well who we know don't have a place to even live a place to stay shelter we take all these things for granted and while we think that maybe the least of these might be those without food or without shelter I think the least of these are those who haven't had a chance to see your face, to know your to know your glory. So I really appreciated Steve's comments that they be effective in, in being Jesus, showing Jesus to these dying children. I pray for protection, safety, 
I pray for comfort for their families while they'll be maybe out of communication for a while. We pray for their safe return. Father, I agree, and I just thank you that your spirit goes before them to prepare a path for them that they might walk on a, just a straight and narrow path to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those that need him. And, and um, just thank you for them stepping out in faith as Jesus calls them to walk on water. Just to, They would fix their eyes on the perfecter, the author of life, Jesus Christ. And um, every place the sole of their feet shall tread shall be theirs, for you have given it to them. Just pray for their families, as Kel said. And, and I just pray as a congregation that we can come together, uplift them in prayer without ceasing, and uh, just as well, that we would be Jesus to their families when they're gone. And, um, we just thank you, Lord, for their faithfulness. And we thank you in Jesus' name. All right, now we're having church. Children, you go. Uh, you can be dismissed and uh, go to your classrooms. Thanks for hanging with us and uh, getting to getting to be part of a send off. Oh, don't go anywhere. Kids, come back. <laughs> They're all going to go get the food first. Sorry, come on back. Come on back. Thank you, Kirsten. Guess what? You get to hang out with me. I didn't send a memo to myself. Oops. All right, I need the band back up here. Where's Clink? Clink's praying for our offering, and we're going to keep going. While, while the band's coming up, let me just share one more send-off. And I, we didn't send ourselves off, but my wife and I leave on Wednesday. We're leaving to China, and we're going to go pick up our new daughter. And uh, we're a, yeah. And uh, so we would just we would really covet your prayers as well. Um, our four kids are being left here with her mom, so pray for her mom. And uh, if she comes to church next week with. Uh, looking scraggly and all that. Just love her and support her. Offer her the best donut. Uh, but we're going to be going down and, um, and picking up our daughter. She's two years old. Some of you may or may not know that we've been in process with this for a long time. But uh, anyways, you'll get to all meet her. Uh, Lord willing, I'll be back on, on April 30th, and I'll be preaching. I'll get to share with you guys, and uh, you'll see her in the flesh. So we're really excited about that. Just appreciate your prayers. And so, uh, Clink. Morning. Can we have the ushers come forward, please, in preparation for the offering? Let's pray for the offering. You know, Father, we're so grateful to be before you today. We thank you for your grace and mercy upon us, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to give to your kingdom. We know that you don't need our money. You don't need our offerings, Lord. But yet it shows a sign of love for those that we care for. We pray for those that are homeless and hurting and helpless today that are hungry. God, we just pray that you would take these tithes and offerings that we give cheerfully, Lord, and use them mightily for your kingdom as we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. That the one that we've just been worshiping, the one that we've just sent out in the name of Jesus is the same one that we're talking about. And as we look at the book of, of Colossians this morning, speak powerfully through Darren. Thank you for being here with us as our friend, as our reigning king, and as our good shepherd. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
Okay, there we go. Um, I can see my notes here. Uh, we we write. Uh, well, let me let me start by just saying that I think I think it's amazing the fact that we get the chance to look at a letter. I guess too often we, it's difficult for us to imagine that we have a, a, a Bible today that is, that's nice, you know, leather bound, it looks real nice and pretty and it's, you know, properly marketed and looks good for people to want to buy it and purchase it and, and it's all nice and uniform and there's even, you know, red letters in here where Jesus spoke and, and it's all neatly put together and packaged for us and sometimes it can create this sense in us that, it, it, I don't know, it's almost like it, it doesn't, I don't want to say a fairy tale, but it almost like it just seems too good to be true. It's nice and neatly packaged together. It's kind of like, I'm having a hard time explaining that or expressing what I'm really trying to get at here with this. But the point that I, that I want to emphasize is that it's such a blessing that we get to look at a letter that was written by one of the, a person that was profoundly impacted by Jesus you know, Paul being struck down by lightning after Jesus had died and rose again and then being met by Jesus on this road and just blinded um, and, and being able to have this personal one-on-one experience with Jesus and then being commissioned by Jesus to go and to preach this message of hope and forgiveness to the Gentile nations, which includes us. Um, and the fact that we get to look at a letter that was written to a church that was early on in that process is to me just a, a magnificent thing that we 2,000 years later get to look at this and have insight into this and read it for how it was written and what he was trying to communicate to these people. Sometimes we can lose that 2,000 years later because we see it as, a, um, as, a, as just a, it's another letter in the Bible. You know, there's a bunch of different letters at the end of the, at the, New, Test, end of the New Testament. It's just another one of them. But this is a, a tremendously profound experience that we have you know, we, we write books today with, um, with a particular theme in mind. Uh, movies have a theme as well. We use, really, book and film to make a point. I, I brought, the reason why I brought some of these books, uh, just as a, you all have your, your books that you probably really enjoy. Um, there's a few that I brought that I really enjoy. One is this book called uh, The Forgotten Ways by Alan Hirsch, uh, which is just a, a great a great book that's on the edge of thinking in, in our churches and stuff and dealing with what are some of the things that we've forgotten about how the early church was established and things that Jesus' intention for the church were that we've somehow kind of moved away from a little bit that we need to kind of re- refocus on and recome back to. And so this is a great book that kind of challenges that. But his main theme in mind is reactivating the missional church. How, how do we get out to being more missionally focused the way that the early church was instead of you know, inward and institutionally focused? This is another book that has a specific theme and purpose in mind. It's one I'm, I've been reading called Present-Centered Youth Ministry, Guiding Students into Spiritual Formation. And it's basically a book that, with the general theme in mind, is that youth ministry is evolving. And whereas in the past 30, 40 years, youth ministry was mostly about, you know, lots of fun and games and activities which have their place, there's an increasing trend in, in high school students and junior high students that are much more interested in the authentic spiritual relationship with Jesus and a, and a genuine craving towards spiritual disciplines and, and wanting to have a better understanding of, of their faith and of, of the authentic expressions of our faith. So this is kind of a book that deals with that theme. It's another book, some of you may have read this by Jim Collins, but book Good to Great. I'm not sure if you've, some of you guys kind of see heads nodding a little bit. 
but uh, a book written by a guy in the corporate world that really just kind of does a survey of different companies and corporations and finds out that the, the, the really, really successful companies out there were the ones that made this jump from being just a good company to a great company. And he kind of lays out some, some point pointers as far as how they did that. It's a very insightful book on being more strategic and, and more focused in certain ways. Um, and so these are all books that were written with a specific you know, purpose in mind, a theme in mind. We find this with movies. A lot of the movies that, that you may or may not um, uh, you know, like um, have certain themes that are part of them. One of the movies that, that I've really enjoyed in recent years uh, is a movie uh, called Cinderella Man. It's got Russell Crowe in it. It's a, it's a movie some of you may have seen, but a movie where Russell Crowe is this boxer during the Depression. And he, he has this really exciting career, and then he finds himself you know, hit like most people did in the 30s with the depression and just loses everything. And he goes through this period of time where he just, his, you know, he breaks his arm and, and he can't provide for his family and there's not enough work to go around. And then eventually he gets his chance to start boxing again and he beats like the big contender in, in, in boxing at that point, which revitalizes his career. And it's this beautiful story of the, really of this concept of the, of, of the human spirit, of kind of the ups and downs of the human spirit, and really this, this underlying theme that goes throughout the whole thing is really the value and the predominant focus on family and on the beauty of, of, of the family unit and providing for the family and loving our family and, and coming together and trying to a- achieve something that's bigger than ourselves. And so it's a great movie in that, uh, in that regard. Um, some of you may have seen the movie Amazing Grace, which was one that came out a few years ago uh, that deals with, um, um, oh, what's his name? William Wilberforce, yes. Uh, if I'm going to mention the movie, I probably should know the guy's name. But seen the movie a couple of times, and just this great theme throughout this whole movie of trying to end the slave trade. Um, and uh, just this beautiful experience where it starts out, it's never going to happen, and by the very end, Overwhelming majority of Parliament, um, you know, decides to 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 outlaw the slave trade. It's just a beautiful expression, a theme that's going throughout of the impossible can be done, taking time and things like that. So, so mostly when we talk about books or we talk about movies or things like that, we write with this theme in mind. And it's important to understand as we look at Colossians, as David mentioned to us last week, that Paul writes this letter. He's got a goal in mind. It's not like he's rambling on like I'm doing right now. And he's rambling on, and then all of a sudden, midstream, he says, oh, and by the way, maybe we should talk about Jesus' supremacy for a little bit. That'd be a nice thing to talk about, so maybe we'll just spend a little bit of time on that. But no, he's writing to a group of people with a specific thought or theme in mind. And that theme and that thought is the centrality of Jesus, the all-encompassing importance of Jesus Christ at the foundation, at the soul. Get, out, get rid of all the religiosity. Get rid of all of the other periphery issues that so cloud our thinking um, and focus in on Jesus. Jesus is at the core and at the soul of our faith. It's at the very heart, the very lifeblood of how we operate as people. And so he's, he's got this thread that's moving throughout all of his writings here in Colossians that deals with this concept of Jesus being the supreme one, Jesus being the center focus of everything. And what I want to do this morning, in just, uh, just the, the brief time that we have remaining, <coughs> is to focus on two basic parts of this passage. And I want to encourage you to look at, inside the bulletin, there's a little handout in there for you that just basically I had um, Carol just put the, the scripture in here for us. For you to be able to look at it, basically, the way we're going to look at this breaks down into two parts, like as the paragraph lists them here. And uh, it's just an interesting approach that Paul, uh, that Paul starts with. If, if you look at these first uh, eight verses, before we read these, 
Um, let your mind go back to what we said earlier about context. Okay, Remember how we said that this church was living within this tri-city region that had this smorgasbord mentality to religiosity and ideas and thoughts? Kind of like take a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You know, Jesus is just kind of like one of the you know, supposed gods out there. So, okay, let's kind of incorporate him in here somewhere and kind of, okay, what are some of the things he taught? We'll kind of put him up on, on par with all the other stuff that's out there. Just kind of create this, this pool to operate from. And so with that mentality in mind, that context, that culture that's in mind, look at, through that lens, look at how he writes to this church in these, these verses. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up in you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and you also, who also told us of your love in the Spirit. The, the thing that's really neat about this first section of Scripture that he writes here is the encouraging tone that Paul has, if you notice that, in the way that he writes. Look at what he's saying here. He wants to encourage them that, that they have the reputation of being the right people. He says, I pray for you, and that he has heard of their faith, which has been what? Modeled in love. He gives them assurance of their faith that, quote-unquote, has been stored up in heaven. He says that all over the world, this gospel that you have believed is growing and bearing fruit. It is bigger than your tri-city area. It's changing lives and impacting people in deep ways all over the place. And he says this gospel is doing the same thing in you. Paul's tone is encouraging. He's reminding them and giving them a perspective that goes beyond their frame of reference. Paul, get this, this it's very important. Paul knows that Jesus is supreme. Paul understands the centrality of Jesus, Jesus being the heart and soul of all existence, that life itself rises and falls on the commands of Jesus, that he is the very center of all life and all reality. But he knows that this church lives in an environment that's hostile to this understanding, that's hostile to this approach, and that worships the God of personal choices. And he wants this church to know that what they have is real. He wants them to know that they are making a difference and that he's encouraged by their faith. That they have eternity waiting for them and there are many other people all around the world just like them that are all joined together in this consuming understanding of the reality and the centrality of Jesus. He wants to remind them of the power of their faith. He's saying in a very encouraging tone, so to speak, there are people probably in that church that are wrestling with and struggling with, well, okay, is Jesus really the only way to the Father? I mean, all our neighbors are talking about the fact that you can kind of add this and add that to the equation. And instead of Paul coming at them and blasting them and just saying, hey, you're, you're, you're doing all these things bad, what he does is he takes a very positive approach and he wants to build them up and strengthen them and say, listen, the centrality of Jesus is being made known to you. It's being seen in you. You're doing a good job. Keep up the good fight. Keep up the faith. Keep the, keep the walk with God that you were called to. You know, just as a side note here, as we look at this first part of this, of this passage, you know, we spend a lot of time condemning ourselves and others when we fall short, don't we? I mean, we do it to ourselves. We feel inadequate. We make a mistake. We condemn ourselves. 
But Paul takes this approach where he wants to build up and encourage this church and tell them that they're on the right track. And so I just wanted to, even just as a side note to this, to just pause. And, and I had just a sense that as, as we come this morning that there may be those of us here that need encouragement today. That, that you came this morning and you're like, you know what, Darren, I'm not really that concerned with what Paul has to say in the letter to the Colossians. I, I, I'm not even sure that I really want to be here this morning. Maybe that's part of the aspect that you, you feel like there's a need for encouragement in your life, that you're struggling with something where you feel like God can't use you, you're not important because you don't know enough, you're not good enough, you don't have all the right verses memorized. If you want to talk to somebody about your faith, you don't know where to start when you open your Bible, and then you wonder where my Bible is. Do I even have a Bible? The great thing in this whole process is that God is the one that does the work in us. The Holy Spirit is the one that does the work in us. And he wants to use us as a conduit of his love. And here's the kicker. He's doing it already. He's doing it in you. Even if you don't know that he's doing it in you, he's doing it in you. So let the encouragement of Paul speaking to this church be an encouragement to you today. You may feel like I'm rough around the edges. I don't get along with people very well. I have a hard time with coworkers or whatever and drawing that right connection. It doesn't mean that we kind of grow back and just accept the fact of, you know, that we've got things in our lives we have to work on, obviously. But be encouraged that Jesus has given us his spirit to live and dwell within us. Therefore, he's the one that's doing the work. And so take those small victories and move forward. Recognize that you have the power of God living within you to make change and impact the world that you live in. And Jesus is doing that through you already. Many times unknown to you. Many times without us having the ability to see it tangibly. So just as a side note, I wanted to hit that as we uh, look at the first eight verses here in Colossians. As he's setting up this encouraging tone as he's going to move now into the heart of his teaching here. In verses 9 through 12 of this passage. Look at verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, in order to understand verse 9 as we look at this, we have to understand this false teaching that may have prompted Paul to write this letter. And there's this teaching called Gnosticism that existed in this, this, this multicultural, multi-religious way of thinking environment that this letter was written into. And basically, Gnosticism is kind of a funny word, but basically it, the, the teaching of Gnosticism was this idea of dualism, this idea that the created world is evil, and the spiritual world is the only thing that's really good. And there's really no connection between the two. Okay? And so in order to really connect with God, because God doesn't really have anything to do with the physical world. He just operates in this, this, this other natural spiritual realm, which is where everything is good. He has no influence in the physical. In order to really connect with this distant or this, this detached God is to become enlightened by special knowledge thereby the concept of Gnosticism, Gnosis, Gnosis, the, 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 the understanding of knowledge-based understanding. And so, in order to truly connect with God, you have to be enlightened by this special knowledge to know your true identity. And once you understand your true identity, that you're really just, you know, you're essentially nothing because you're, phys- you're a physical being, then you'll somehow be enlightened to understand that really the only goodness that can come from you is when you transcend that understanding and become entirely understand your spiritual dimension and dismiss everything that's physical in your life. Um, that's kind of a $3 definition of Gnosticism. Probably some of you may have better definitions than I do, but that's kind of a general take on it. And so with that in mind, 
that cultural religious understanding in place, Paul writes these words in verse 9, and it makes more sense. Let's look back at the verse. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. And look at this, asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You see that? He, he's using the language in the religious tone of the day to lift God up. It's like Paul's saying, people all around you are saying you can't know the truth because you haven't been enlightened. You haven't reached this true understanding of reality that everything physical is bad and everything that is spiritual is good. And, and it's hard to, to, to make a connection between the two, if not impossible. But Paul is saying true knowledge, true reality, is found in God and in his will. And that he has made his will known to you and he has continued to show this and will continue to show you. And what is this special knowledge that Paul is advocating? Here's where the whole theme of Colossians comes up. That Jesus is ultimate reality. Jesus is everything. Jesus is the special knowledge. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is at the core of God's will for your life. He's at the core of everything that we need to know. And so how does he do this practically? Or how does he lay this out for us practically? And this is really the heart and soul of what I wanted to share with you this morning. In verses 10 through 12, he's going to get to the heart of the will of God having Jesus at the center of our lives. And you look at these verses. He says, We pray this in order you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. He basically deals with the issue of God's will. And he basically says that the core and at the heart of God's will for your life is that Jesus is central. And as Jesus is central, these are some things that we can see. These are some ways that our life will show that Jesus is at the central focus, and thereby we can understand that these are ways that we are walking in the will of God. Look at what he says in, these, in this passage in, verse, in verses 10 through 12. The first one says in, uh, in, at the end of uh, verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. John 15, Jesus says, Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so what this teaches us is that as we keep Jesus at the center of our lives, we do God's will by bearing fruit. We were created to bear fruit. Um, did I have that? I had a little uh, a grape. Uh, was there a, yeah, there it is. Those grapes, a, a, a vineyard. We were created, a vine was created to bear grapes, to produce grapes. You could say that God's will for this vine is that grapes would grow. And the implication for us as a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus today, is that God's will for us is that we stay attached to Jesus, that Jesus is central to everything we do and is at the core. We keep him as the center, and as a result, our lives produce results known as bearing fruit. We bear fruit because we are connected to the vine. We can't help ourselves because it's not us. It's who we're connected to that works through us. And so what does this look like? What does it look like practically to bear fruit? Real quickly, 
that we see our own lives um, change and improve as our uh, tendency towards self-fulfillment um, and selfishness slowly erodes and we develop more of a lifestyle of self-sacrifice. As you see your life becoming less and less self-centered and more other-centered, that's a product of bearing fruit in your life. You're seeing the love and the will of Jesus work through you. He's changing us and changing you and I from the inside out. What, how else does bearing fruit look like in our life? Uh, maybe because we've invested time with a person at work or at school, that they know now that they can trust you and confide with you and the struggles that they're dealing with. They actually approach you because they've sensed in you, you're a person of peace to them. You're a person of compassion to them. You're a person that models something in your life that they don't see from other people. Why is that? Not because you and I are any good, but because Jesus, we're connected to the vine, he's working through us. His life is flowing through our, our bones, our veins, our fingers, our hands, everything that we speak and do. He is coming through us and impacting people around us. What's another way that it looks practically? Because we're living out the mission of Jesus in our lives, we would see more people come to know him as a result of our faithfulness to that mission. To be with people, to build relationships, and to share the hope of Jesus. This is sometimes the hardest one. But we can't get away from it in the scriptures. A true disciple of Jesus will see not only personal fruit bearing in our own lives and how we are transformed, but will see how other people's lives change because of ours. That we are making a profound impact. There are more people that are choosing to follow Jesus and be disciples of Jesus because of your and my ministry. Because, because Jesus is working through us. The reality is, we just have to free ourselves up to be with people. We have to free ourselves up with time, with all the busyness that we're, that we're um, distracted with, to be with the people that Jesus has put in our lives. To build those relationships. To love them. To, I was talking with my wife last night. I just, we need to, we haven't done this and we need to do it. We need to do just this community barbecue in our neighborhood. Take my family and just walk down the streets and hand out flyers say, hey, on X and X Saturday, we're going to have a barbecue at our house. We just want, we just want to get to know our community. We just want to get, create some community conversation and just finding ways to create an opportunity to be salt and light of Jesus in the communities that we live in. As we do that, I think we will be surprised at how quickly we see our lives bear fruit in the lives of other people. Once again, because it's not because of your ability, your talent, your knowledge necessarily of the scriptures or how many verses you memorized, but it's because Jesus is working through you. You're an open and available conduit of his love in the life of people. That's all he's saying. He's saying, make yourself available and I'll work. Just show up and I'll work through you. Make time for me. Make time for the people that I put you in the world with. Wow, okay, I'm over time. Okay, so here, let's look at the last, <clears throat> the last three here, quickly. Uh, growing in the knowledge of God. Uh, real quickly, as we understand this concept, it, some of us may sit and think that we've got this pegged. Oh, okay, that just that essentially means that we have more knowledge, you know, about, we know the scriptures better, we know more about God's attributes, and I think we're missing the point when we look at it this way. It's not growing in knowledge about God. It's growing in knowledge of God. There's a distinct difference between those two concepts. 
this is a book, one of the other books I brought, Christian Theology by Millard Erickson. And some of you may, if you're a theology buff, you probably have read through this. It's quite a read, isn't it? Um, and um, I, I actually love this book because it, it's very detailed on theology. But, I mean, this thing goes through, I mean, it's a very systematic approach. I mean, it goes through everything. I mean, studying God. What is theology? Knowing God. God's universal revelation. The greatness of God. The goodness of God. God's plan. God's originating work creation. The origins of humanity. The nature of sin. The source of sin. The results of sin. Uh, the humanity of Jesus. The virgin birth. The work of the uh, the atoning work of Jesus, the, the the work of the Holy Spirit, concepts of salvation, continuation of salvation, uh, sanctification, the nature of the church, the role of the church, government in the church, eschatology, the end times, the second coming of Jesus. I mean, it goes through everything. And I'll tell you, you can spend time reading this and go away with this book and have no better knowledge of God than when you started. Because you may have more knowledge about God, more knowledge about the scriptures, more knowledge about the work of Jesus. But the distinction here that I think Paul is trying to draw is that the, the, the true source of God's will for our life is that Jesus is at the core, Jesus is central, and as a result, we model the life of Jesus more. That we are more like Jesus, that we are more like the Father as we operate. That shows that we have greater knowledge of God. Because it's not a head-based academic knowledge, but it is an action-based response. We have been infected by God. We've been infected by Him to make a difference. To allow our knowledge of Him to impact other people tremendously. Third, being strengthened to have lives of endurance and patience. The understanding that's here in this aspect of, of the centrality of Jesus and God's will for our life is that we are advancing the message of Jesus. That's the implication here. He's writing to this church with the understanding that they are missional in their approach, that they are moving outside the walls of their church buildings, which they didn't have at that time. They had a house. They were living in it, working in it, meeting in a house, and they were infecting their community with the message of Jesus. And as a result of that, the implication is that everybody's involved in this. Everybody has time for their neighbors. They have time for their coworkers. They're, they're engaging them in conversation. As a result, he's saying be strengthened in the midst of this to have a life of endurance and patience. You're running a good race. You're running a good race. Keep it up. Don't be discouraged. Endure. This is God's will for you, to continue to move forward and to do it patiently. Not obnoxiously, but patiently in loving, in loving ways of compassion as well. Fourth, this last aspect that he deals with in this, this section is this idea of joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has given us new life. Because of what God has done for us in Jesus, his will for us is that we live a life of joy and appreciation for the new existence that we have. A deep, well-grounded appreciation and joy. One that is not dominated by fear, hatred, insecurity, but one that is dominated by a renewed appreciation of life, love, relationships, and a future that will never end. He's saying, look at the life that you have and thank God every day for it because your eternal existence begins now. You are living in eternity now. See life physically today through the, through the eyes of Jesus and the eyes of the God that created you and look around you. Look at the love that we have in people, the creative brilliance that God has done in our, in our universe 
and love and honor and give thanks to God that you and I as mere peons in the history of existence have the ability to know this and to internalize it and to be this for people. I mean, that is the beauty of this. And if you see what Paul's trying to, he's drawing this picture and he's saying, keep Jesus central. As you keep Jesus central in the focus of your life, these, these are some examples of ways that it will manifest itself. It will look this way. So don't, don't leave here this morning going, man, what, I don't know what God's will is for my life. I don't, what, does he want me to go to Zimbabwe with the other guys that are going? Well, maybe. Maybe God will make that clear to you that he really wants you to go and do that. But sometimes we just focus too much on these, these, these other way outlandish ideas of thinking that God's will is some sort of secret knowledge out there for us. But he's saying, no, God has made his will available to you. It's Jesus. Be like Jesus. Live like Jesus. Obey God. Honor him with your life. Serve him recklessly. And watch the results pour in. That's God's will for our life. And so as we close, we're going to have the, go ahead and have Dave and the band come up. And as we're finishing with this song, I want to encourage you guys um, to feel the freedom to either sing along with, with the song that's, that's going to be played or to take some time, and if you want to look at your your handout here to, to jot down of these four things, what is the one that maybe you sense the Holy Spirit who's living and dwelling within you? If you're calling yourself a follower of Jesus here, he, He's with you. He, not because of anything I've said, it's just the reality of it. He's with you. So, as the Holy Spirit's working and moving in you, as you think about these things, what are some ways in which you feel like you need to ask God, help me better in this way? Help me to do a better job of seeing and bearing the fruit that you've destined for me to bear. Help me to change my understanding of my knowledge about God into a deeper knowledge of God, that I would internalize it, that I would live it out, and that it would model itself in love and compassion and mercy for people everywhere. That you would be actively more involved in the mission of God, to be building relationships, building bridges with people in your neighborhood, and to do it with endurance and patience. Maybe that's an area that you feel like God is saying, I need to be more active about that. Or finally, maybe you just don't find that you have a lot of joy in your life right now. You, you have a, a failure to understand and to see, boy, life just stinks for me, to be honest with you, you know, as opposed to looking around and looking at the beauty that's around us and the life he's given us and say, help me to develop a deeper appreciation and joy for you and what you've given me. And to have that heart and that attitude of love and compassion. So I want to encourage you as we spend time closing this out this morning to think through those things. And if anything comes to mind, jot it down on that sheet of paper that's in your handout and use it as an opportunity to, to reflect and to uh, talk with God about it.